Are you ready? I love this man. Amen? He's the last mentor I got left. After that, I'm everybody's mentor, you know? I need this guy. God's not finished with us yet. We got work to do. But isn't it great to be on the winning team? Let's jump right in tonight. I'm going to take you to the book of Daniel, chapter 12. I quoted this scripture uh, a while ago because I get all discombobulated. I just get excited about what God says and just throw it out there. You know, coming to my conference is like getting a, a drink of water from a, a fire hydrant. Amen. <laughs> a lot of information to, to go through. But uh, uh, I'm excited about what we're going to look at tonight. I, I was raised in un, unbelief, raised in the public school system, didn't know anything about the Bible. Thought John 3.16 might be a restroom up on the third floor. I don't know. Epistle must be an apostle's wife. How would you know? You didn't know the scriptures. And so it was the prophetic element of scripture that in fishing terminology hooked me. Uh, I, I kind of approached the Bible rationally. Kind of show me and leave me alone. Let me process it. But I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit will allow you to process the word of God. And it does something inside of you. It takes away the fear of man. It gives you a sense of destiny and you know who you are and why you're here. We got work to do and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I remember hearing as a young man, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, well, <laughs> the gates of hell could prevail against me, uh, but if I'm a church man, you know, Christ died for the church. He calls the church by way of function. He calls it his body. By way of affection, he calls it his bride. And the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. He gives officers to the church. He gives gifts to the church. And uh, uh, he, I want to be a church man. Nothing against, you know, little league coaching and all that. But I want to be a church guy. I want my life to be built around the church of Jesus Christ. Daniel is the prophet his people had been disobedient. Judgment came. Nebuchadnezzar came. The temple went down. The city is destroyed. He's taken captive, but he's a prophet. You know, it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. We can prosper on the inside. We can't make excuse, but Daniel's there in Babylon. And in Babylon, fell to Persia, and they were kept, the Persians saw, this guy's got an excellent spirit. This guy is wise. And he, he kind of transitioned from being a, a political leader in Babylon to being a political leader, I mean, high up, you know, right underneath prime minister under the Persians. It's, it's towards the end of his uh, ministry. He looks down through the quarter of time, and he says something phenomenal. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse... Um, Three, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness uh, as the stars forever. He that winneth souls is wise. Amen. The wisest thing that we can do on this planet is trying to influence other people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate, man. That people would just see us and they can't explain us they can't explain why we're different that we don't have to be on drugs or we don't have to be on alcohol or, or we don't have to be living some kind of sexual fantasies to to have peace and to have joy and to live with purpose he's looking down through the quarter of time and he says this in verse four but thou daniel shut up the words and seal the book 
this book of Daniel was kind of a sealed book through the, uh, through the ages, even or up until recently in the church age. Daniel was like a mystical book. But the Spirit of God is the latter days, is what he prophesied would happen, is happening right before our eyes. A glove of prophecy, the hand of reality. Uh, he says, the time of the end, in the time of the end, not the end of the world, the end of the, of the church age, as we await the second advent of Jesus Christ, what to look for. At the time of the end, look at this, many shall run to and fro. This is interesting. Up until modern times, up until about uh, maybe the 1850s, the fastest anybody ever traveled was as fast as a horse could run. Think about it. And he's saying, men will run to and fro upon the earth. People would look at it, you can't take that literally. That's crazy. And then we have the locomotive, and men begin to go a little faster, maybe 30, 40 miles an hour. 45, push maybe 50 miles an hour. And then the internal combustion engine, and a little faster, a little faster. And the Wright brothers, the aircraft and airplanes, and 100, 200, and then jet engines, uh, ultrasonic uh, uh, airplanes, rockets. You know, one day I had breakfast in New York City, I had lunch in Paris, and I had dinner in Tel Aviv. You know what I did that day? I ran to and fro. <laughs> Couldn't have done that until recent days. Just in that little phrase, something significant from God, a little whisper from heaven, just to kind of point it out that uh, this is not a natural book. Remember my old hippie friend Roach said, well, man, if God ever talks to you, man, listen to him. That's good counsel, isn't it? God's talking to us, man. But it's the last part of this verse I want to focus on. Running to and fro upon the earth. That happens all the time. There's some good with that and there's some bad with that. You notice this, uh, this flu thing is spreading around the world? It's running to and fro. That couldn't happen. So there's good and there's bad. But isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit, 2,600 years ago, would write that down? That verse made no sense until maybe the last 50, 60 years. A lot of you have actually experienced that verse. But it's the last part of the verse I want to focus on. And knowledge shall increase. I mentioned this the other night in passing. Think of the history of knowledge. How slowly from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age to the Iron Age, uh, things didn't change much. When uh, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue and they arrive in the Americas in the, in the late 1400s, you fast forward 100 years. What changed 100 years? Nothing. To the 1690s, basically nothing. 1790s. Oh, we've now we got the we got the Gutenberg press has, has been introduced, and we have uh, we have some industrialization and harnessing of water power, and and then you know then we get into the electronic age in the late 1800s, and Thomas Edison and ACDC, and that that used to mean something different, didn't it? ACDC. <laughs> That's changed. 
I've got to be careful what I'm saying over here. <laughs> um, things begin to change. But, you know, just think in the history of the world. It, he, he said, in the time of the end, knowledge will be exponentially. Whew. You know, my, I have an iPhone 6X. My grandkids are embarrassed. <laughs> oh, Papa, you need to kind of upgrade, Papa. You know, his knowledge came so slowly. And then you have uh, the burning of fossil fuels, the internal combustion engine, electricity, telegraph, <laughs> sending messages all the way across the country. A little fa electronically, a little faster than Pony Express, amen? Yeah. The telegraph, and then the telephone. How somebody could talk into this here and then hear it miles and miles away. Um, television, phonograph, radio, uh, transistors. Remember, the, I, I actually was in a museum and saw one of the old, uh, what did they call something foam, something phone and had the needle and the big, big, say it again? Yeah, kind of, but it was, yeah, like a megaphone. And they could play music on that. You know, any of you remember the eight tracks? Trying to find a song on a, on a cassette, you know, or I mean, things are just so just just changing so quickly. I, I, if, if I could call my grandfather back from the dead, he died in 1969. He was born in 1900 in Budapest, Hungary. Came to America as a child, grew up here, and two weeks before he died, he sat in our living room, uh, sat in our living room on a black and white television, and he watched Neil Armstrong from Wapakoneta, Ohio, step onto the lunar surface and say. One small step for man, one giant step for mankind. You should have seen my grandfather's eyes. I'll never forget, he said, when I was a child, we used to say, if God wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings. And so my grandfather thought, wow, technology has maxed out. <laughs> we made it to the moon. And yet there... I have more computer power right here on my little iPhone than they had in the moon project, in the lunar module right here. If I were to tell my grandfather, this is, uh, this is my phone, he's like, where are the cords? Where's the dial thing? I don't even know what you call that thing, the dial thing, right? Rotary dial. You know what I'm talking about? Who told you? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I could say, well, Papa, I want to take a picture of you. Smile, bro. And he'd say, yeah, sure. And then I could show him the picture. And I could send it to Uncle Art, his youngest son in Arizona, like right now. Where do you put in the film? <laughs> who, de who develops it for you? Who's going to mail it for you? Oh, it's all done electronically, Papa. Hello? And I'm holding in my hand, I, I, I mean, it, this thing's got, it's, it's, it's a video uh, player. You, you know what it is. It's all, it's all here. Pay my bills on this thing. I have access to the Internet. How do you explain the Internet to your grandfather who died in 1969? 
that I have access to like nearly omniscience. Uh, turn if you would, we've, we've been hovering around it and mentioned it many times, but let's just look to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. The Antichrist, we're in the middle of the tribulation. Here's the sequence. Christ dies, establishes his church. He launches his church out to preach the gospel. Nobody knows the day or, or the hour, but when it, he's ready, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. We have the rapture of the church. And then shall that wicked Antichrist be revealed. And the Antichrist is it, the beginning of the tribulation, one of the seven most difficult years in the history of the planet. And... Um, and uh, the Antichrist is coming to prominence. I think the lie, the wound, the war. Three and a half years later, he's in power. Power is given him for 32 months. He institutes the cashless society that we read about in Revelation 13 at the middle point of the tribulation. And uh, some of us are so familiar with this text, it's, no, it's like we got used to it. But I remember when I first encountered this text in 1972, at Cook Road Baptist Church, read the book of Revelation, and I saw this. I'm like, I was being, I, I know there's symbolism in the book of Revelation, and I would take this symbolically, because how could you take it any other way in 1972? But it said uh, in Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse number 16, and he, the Antichrist, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, uh, free and bond to receive a mark in the right in it says in, in in the King James version not on but in the right hand, the computer chips aren't on your skin they're they are what, they're in. It's interesting, just a little tidbit, and I mean I wouldn't make a major doctrine over that, but that's what the Bible says, and that's how it works. Interesting, how do they know two thousand years ago about uh, 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 computer chip technology? Uh, Mark in the right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 600, three score, and six, 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 six. Score is 20, three score is 60, six, six, six. And I remember just reading that. It's like, come on, man. And yet today, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't long after that, and we have the universal product codes appearing uh, on things. And there's nothing evil about the technology, okay? I'm not buying it. It's got a UP symbol on it. Universal. One world government. No, no, no. Uh, and we had the UPC symbols. And you didn't have to have the people at the grocery store open, tearing open a box of groceries and with that thing before they loaded them on the, on the shelves. And then when you go to the, the scanner, young people are like, that's how they did it? Yeah. And they just beep. And you're all set. I, I wish I had other products here. I can show you the 666 on everything you've been buying for the past 30 years and the barcode. Why does it have to be 666? Interesting. You know, um, I've, had, I've had computer leaders tell me that um, there's, a, that, that there's a number that, that everybody in America has, and there's a, there's a, my number would be part of my number. Well, my number would be this. 666, international code, 110, American code, national code, and then 518, which is my area code, and then, I won't give it, uh, but my social security number. That would be the number that the Antichrist will know me as. 
all that technology is here. Yeah. And we're that close. And this doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation. Well, we're, we've almost got the technology down to make that happen. No, 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 we already have it down. A lot of nations are moving away from currency and, and cash. India, India just, I, I don't know if it's, it's it, I think it was January 1st, India went cashless. Uh, there's almost no cash in Scandinavia anymore. It's not evil. But we were told 2,000 years ago by the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures that in the final days, this will be the system that the evil one uses. Wow. You know, Hitler might have tried to have a world government, but he didn't have the technology. He tried to annihilate the Jews, and he almost did. But God turned that, that holocaust to give sympathy in the eyes of the rest of the world to open the doors for the Jews to return. And we went through all that in our very first lesson. So knowledge will increase. Technology will be here. Uh, and the, the mark of the beast. And uh, we, people will buy into this for convenience. I don't hardly ever carry cash. It's just much simpler with a credit card. But you can lose your credit card. You can lose your wallet. You can, somebody can steal it. And they can have a lot of fun on your credit card until you can shut that baby down. You got a mess to clean up afterwards. There's a way to fix that. Beam, right there, baby. And people historically have always traded uh, security. They've traded their freedom for security. They signed that uh, bill under George Bush uh, uh, after 9-11 to allow surveillance on people. Well, it was supposed to be just for uh, a terrorist activity. And yet, in reality, we see that the government's got just about everything. How can somebody control the commerce of the world? Hey, you know how long it used to take? When I, when I got my um, first mortgage for our house, it took like a week to do a credit check. You know how long it takes to do a credit check today? About 60 seconds. It is all there. I Googled myself one night. I got so scared. I, I don't know. I didn't know all that was up about me. Every everything you've bought, uh, every land transaction, they know all the details. They know every, every penny that has gone on my W-2 forms forever. They got everything on us now. Every phone call that I've made the last 10, 15 years, every text, every Facebook page. Aren't you afraid they've got all of that stuff? Well, they got it. Why should I be afraid? Just give them Jesus. Amen, buddy? Wow. Is that sinking in? This is the technology. The Holy Spirit said the evil one will use this technology, and it's all here. Look at Revelation 1-7. This is a crazy one. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. That phrase is used more often than that, just one reference. Every eye shall see him. And I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a, you know, I approach things literally and a little bit and perhaps negatively. And how can that be? The earth is a globe. If he comes over here and you live over this side of the planet, ain't no way you can see it. How many of you have seen the uh, airplanes fly into the Twin Towers 9-11? You've seen that? Everybody seen those pictures? How many of you were in New York City that day and saw it happen there? You were in New York City that day, bro? Yeah. But all the rest of us saw it too, and we weren't there. 
Because we saw it on TV. I don't know. It was there, man. Yeah. My sister was there. She's a cop in New York. Yeah. I have a good friend that was a New York City cop that was there when the tower came down, and he, he should have been dead. He's been very sick because of it. His, his testimony is riveting. He's an elder in one of the churches I preach at often. Amazing. But what I'm saying is through technology, we can watch what's happening on the other side of the planet almost in the moment. It takes just a fraction of a second electronically for something to happen to be videotaped, and you and I are watching it like almost in the moment. So you take a look at that little phrase, every eye shall see, and run, well, that is kind of the world we live in now, isn't it? Every eye shall see. Just little things that we might have rushed by. How about this, Revelation 9, 18. Revelation 9, 18. This is one that uh, people mocked at for a long time, Revelation 9, 18. By these three was a third part of men killed, and by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. One third of the earth burning. Come on, man. And then in 1945, we were introduced to nuclear capability. Whoa. And that's just a little bomb compared to what we've got today. And we, there's a, 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 a measurement, I forget what the, the term is, maybe if you know it, throw it back at me, but how much energy it takes to blow up the whole world. And we, we're sitting you know, between all the nations that have nuclear capabilities where we have the ability to like blow up the whole world like four times. It's a unit of measure. And so until nuclear capabilities, you think of one-third of the world burning you're like, come on, man, that's crazy. And it's really not crazy now. We, the capability, the depravity of man and the capability of man could easily see more than a third of the world burn. But the Bible says a third of the world will burn. Will that be God coming down to send in a fire? Or will that be God allowing man to be so stupid that he does this to other men? I don't know. All I know is a third of the world's going to burn. I'm not worried about that. That's, that's after Revelation 4 when I go home. I'm going home. Revelation chapter 4, the door of heaven is open. A voice cries, a trumpet sounds. Come up hither. You never see the church again all through the book of Revelation. Right. Now in chapter 7, chapter 6, the Antichrist arises. In chapter 6, verse 17, the day of his wrath has come. 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 9, I love it. For we, the church of Jesus Christ, are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again in chapter 5, verse 9, because he wants to sink this in. We are not appointed unto wrath, but attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the wrath is here. Chapter 6 of Revelation means we ain't here. We're up in heaven. Right. Worthy right. is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and dominion and power both now and forever. I'm not worried about all this stuff. I'm sad for people who aren't ready for what's to unfold. That's the only burden I have. I have no fear. I, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a biblical mind. If you don't have a biblical mind, you don't have a sound mind. If you don't have a biblical mind, you have a secular mind. And they're the ones that are going to buy into the lies of the Antichrist. And so a third of the world will burn. Not possible until the late 40s. 
And now it's very easy to see how that could happen. Um, look at um, Zechariah. It's just a couple pages before Matthew. Zechariah. This kind of goes together with nuclear activity, as you'll see. Zechariah chapter um, 14, verse 12. Zechariah 14, 12. Zechariah is giving the apocalyptic view a lot more details. You see some of the details of the apocalypse in Daniel. You see here in Zechariah 14, you see a lot of it in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 6 through 19. But he, each one gives a little bit of set of details that the other one doesn't. Zechariah chapter uh, uh, 14, verse 12, Zechariah is looking into this time of the end. Look what he says. And this shall... Uh, be a plague wherein the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and the tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Whoa, that's a little gross. That's a little bit vivid. Almost too much information. But that's the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine and correction and teaching. That's, that's rough. And until nuclear uh, uh, understanding, nuclear blast, people get shot with an arrow. That don't happen. Their eyes just disintegrate in their skull. They're, they're, all the soft tissue is gone. All you got is a skull and a flash. When I was in ninth grade in school, I had to do a book report on Hiroshima or Hiroshima, however you say it. Uh, the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that's actually literally what happened to those people that were near the epicenter. They just were just like disintegrated. Their shadows were like embedded in the concrete walls and their flesh just literally, the soft tissue was gone. 2,700 years ago, that's what the prophet Zechariah said. Wow. So many verses um, that used to not make any sense at all. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 12. Revelation 16, verse 12 says, this is the time of the tribulation. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof dried the great river Euphrates dried up. Now, we know an army of 200 million are coming out of the east for the War of Armageddon. they got to get across the Euphrates River. We know that China is, has 1.2 billion people. Uh, one out of every five are in the military or in the reserves. One-fifth of 1.2 million it far exceeds the 200 million mark the Bible said would come from the east. Well, that's figurative. No, it's not figurative. It's actual. China is armed, and their greatest, uh, their greatest asset is just the swarms of humanity that they can send in. There was a highway built from P Beijing right to the Middle East. It's not really a commercial highway, but it's, they said, why are you building that? They said, we want to be ready because the Middle East and, and the oil is viewed as upon kind of the 
necessary problem and they don't have much oil in China and so they have to be ready for the oil is their purpose of building the highway. And a series of dams have been built on the Euphrates. Just a, just a pushing of a couple buttons, boom! The, river Euphra the great river Euphrates is dried up so that the hordes of the east can march to Armageddon. The infrastructure's in place. The technology is in place. The Jews have come home. The dry bones are now living, Ezekiel 37. The holy city Jerusalem is retaken. And in that day, all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against Jerusalem. Cha-ching. It's all here. It won't be long. I want to take you to 2 Peter, just back before Revelation. 2 Peter uh, 3.10 and 12. 2 Peter 3.10 and 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works uh, that are therein shall be burned up. Again, another reference to nuclear activity during the tribulation time, when it looks like three-quarters of the earth's population will die. A great noise, fervent heat, nuclear activity. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's verse 12 again. He repeats that sometime for some reason five times or three or two times. He repeats that. I want to throw you throw out something here. I think it's in Second Peter. It's just not in my notes, but it's on my mind. Second um, Peter chapter three. Um, no, that's not it. I'm looking for the one. It talks about a thousand years with is with the Lord. Is that 1 Peter 5? Does anybody help, help me find that? A thousand years like a day. Days like a thousand years. not in my notes, but 3 8. 1 Peter, 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3 8. Thank you. Yeah, here it is. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Now, the whole chapter is about the second coming of Christ. And he says, Be not ignorant of this one thing. This is a big one. You ready? Verse 8. One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. When you're eternal, you know, time is not that big of a deal. A thousand years is like a day. Days. Now, he's going to talk now about creation. Look at this. Um, the Lord is not... Um, as we back up a couple verses, they say, where is the... Verse 4, 2 Peter 3, 4. Where is the promise of His coming? Notice it says in verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Where's the promise of his coming? You see the time frame here? We're right at the edge of his coming, and they're going to mock it. Oh, they've always said that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. You, you Bible thumpers. And it says that it, all things remain as they were from the beginning of creation. 
stop there. Think creation. Six days of creation on the seventh day, God what? Rested. One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Six days of creation, a day of rest. From Adam to Christ was 4,000 years. From Christ till today, we say it's the year 2020 A.D. The, we're a little bit different on the Gregorian calendar than the Jews are. On the Jewish calendar, it's 5,987. It's not quite the year 6,000 on the Jewish calendar. That's way too complicated for guys like me to figure out. But here's what, I, here's what guys like me can figure out. It's been about 6,000 years of history. Isn't it amazing? The amount of recorded history is 6,000 years. Now we have this interesting term, well, all of the prehistoric records say, hello? I used to buy into that, prehistoric. There ain't no such thing. Everything, is, everything that's in the record is historic. Just think of that. Yet, the people are so dumbed down, they just, we just buy into this stupidity. And the actual recorded history of man, now the evolutionary story says we go way back. I wish I had time to go into DNA, or go into DNA testing. I wish I had time to go into uh, radiocarbon dating and show you how silly all this stuff is. But anyway, 6,000 years of history, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, how long does the millennial kingdom last? Thousand, milli, millimeter, one thousandth of a meter. Milli is a uh, uh, Latin word for a, a, a thousand, and annum is the year uh, is the Latin term for year. Milli annum, thousand year reign of Christ. Six thousand years of history. Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom for set for a thousand years. As the days of creation, six days rest. History, six thousand years, thousand year rest. The millennial kingdom. Oh, I'm sure it's just a quinky dink. Yeah, that's what people are trusting. Multitudes are trusting. The Bible's not true. They're trusting that Israel's rebirth, oh, it doesn't mean anything. Jerusalem retaken, no big deal. Stuff happens. I think God's trying to get our attention. When you begin to see all these things come to pass, look up. Um, I, I want to switch gears in the next few minutes and talk specifically about America. I want you to turn to James chapter 5. This will probably be my last passage I'll have you look up, but you never know. I, I mean, I have no idea where I'm going. I just get excited about the scriptures and stand up and speak up and usually within an hour or so I run out of ammunition and, and we'll go James chapter 5 and just uh, get that and hold on for a moment. James chapter 5. People ask me all the time, what about America in prophecy? Well, if you study the scriptures, you understand that America is not mentioned in scripture directly. Um. Hebrews, I'm having a problem finding James, just before, after Hebrews, James chapter 3. What about American prophecy? It's not mentioned. 
How could something dominate the world? I mean, in the last day scenario, we have Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, uh, Israel, uh, uh, Sheba, Dedan, merchants of Tarshish are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Opposing Russia coming, a great military power, Gog, coming down against the mountains of Israel, which we looked at uh, yesterday. Where is America in prophecy? Well, it's not directly in prophecy. But scholars say that when you, you see the descendants of Japheth, uh, from Noah's son Japheth, headed west, we, I look around, uh, Caucasians were the descendants of Japheth, uh, Asians are descendants of Shem, and uh, uh, the Negro race are from Ham. One family, just genetic isolation is all that is. Put us all back together, we probably have Adam and Eve. And you have this, this people group in um, Ezekiel 38, Tarshish, and her young lions thereof. Some scholars think it could be Spain, and the Spanish, uh, you know, uh, the world was, I'm thinking, of the, 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 um, the nations that Spanish conquered, all, you know, Central America, all that. But the, the young lions of Tarshish, a lot of scholars believe, is England. Tarshish is England. And if it is England, the young lions of Tarshish would be who? America, Canada, parts of Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And when we see them politically in Ezekiel 38, they're opposing Russia. Don't do it. That's not right. It's wrong. Stop it. They're voicing opposition, but they're not lifting a finger to assist Israel in this battle. God steps up and intervenes. And the Antichrist is responsible for the defense of Israel, Daniel 9. And God uh, stops Russia and her allies, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya. Supernaturally, the world is watching. They're like, whoa, who is able to make war with him? The Antichrist takes credit for what God does. The young lions of Tarshish might be America. If it is, it, we're just obscure or not even mentioned. I think America's biggest problems are not political. I think America's big problems are moral. I don't think God is a white Republican man. Nor is he a black Democrat. He's God. He doesn't play these games. And when God looks at America, great is that nation whose God is the Lord. But the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell, the Bible says. The nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. What nation in, in the history of the world has ever sort of kind of known God more than the United States of America. Look what our forefathers carved into our Capitol buildings. Look what hovers over uh, the head of the Supreme Court of the United States, the Ten Commandments. Oh my, the nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. America is either not mentioned at all in Scripture or just barely. 
America has been a great tool in the hand of God to get the, mission, the, the gospel to the ends of the earth. No nation has ever sent the gospel out to other nations like our nation. It's the heartbeat of Jesus. It's been the heartbeat of God's people in America like no other, no other place. When God looks at America, I don't think he looks at it politically. I think he looks at it morally. I think our biggest problems are killing our babies and a, a totally abandoning the Judean, uh, Christian, uh, sexual morality definition of what marriage is and who's in it. God's not pleased with what's happening in America. If he was giving America uh, a movie title today, I think it would be Sodom 2. So, I want to pick up here in James chapter 5, verse 1. I want you to see the time frame. Actually, you're going to look at the last couple words of verse 3, James chapter 5, verse 3. What are the last two words of James chapter 5? Verse 3, last two words, talk to me. Last days. We're looking at some economic realities. When? In the last days. Okay? Back to verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are cankered, and the rust of them shall be witness against you. And you shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye shall uh, have heaped treasures together for the last days. Sounds like an economic collapse to me. Sounds like an economic collapse. And it's going to tell us why. God doesn't settle his books every 90 days. He'd have had to wipe me out in 1970. <laughs> but grace was greater than all my sin. Amen. Amen. He gave me another chance. He redeemed me, saved me. I love, I love the word saved. It's a beautiful Bible word. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He tells us why this collapse comes in verse 4. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down the fields, blue-collar workers, which is, in, is of you kept back by fraud, crieth the cries of them which have reaped and are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have fraud at the highest level taking advantage of the worker bees. And that's exactly what's driving our country crazy today. We have politicians that enter into uh, government offices with hardly the, sh the, the shirt on their back, and then about 10 years later, they're filthy rich. You take a look at their income, what they're making, and where they wind up, I think they're taking advantage of their power positions and selling out the, the American people. We see the rich getting richer, and we see the poor getting poorer. We're seeing the middleman being, the, uh, uh, middle America being just wasted, it's kind of having a little recovery under Trump. There's a lot of people that like to take that away really quick. You see fraud at every level. We see fraud in business. We see fraud on Wall Street. We see fraud in the educational systems. The children of the rich are, get, are paying big chunks of money so their kid can get these fake degrees from high position. And then they get, some of them are getting busted. I love it to see when some heads roll every now and then. Amen? Fraud at every level. God's not going to bless that. 
That's not how he rolls. Um, kept back by fraud, ripping off the, the consumer, ripping off the common man. Verse 5, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Who do you know that is getting murdered and doesn't try to resist? I think this is a biblical condemnation of what we call abortion. <coughs> 63, 64 million Americans never made it outside the womb because we are killing the most just among us and they can't even resist it. Let's be the voice of the unborn. Amen. Let's be that voice. Oh my. When you read in through the Old Testament as God's judgment is falling upon the Jewish people, he uses this phrase over and over again. The blood of the innocent spilled upon the soil. The blood of the innocent. The blood of the innocent. And America has the blood of 63 or more million innocents. And God brought it up here. When? In the last days. Fraud will rule. We're here. We're killing our most innocent. We're here. Economically, God is not mocked. When God sent the ten plagues through Moses upon Egypt. They weren't random. The Trinity didn't get together and Jesus said, oh, let's like do frogs. That'll really freak out the girls. No, 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 no. There was a frog god named Hopi that people worshipped. And God's saying, he ain't the right god. Ra, the sun god. God sent darkness. So much for Ra. Our God is a great God, the true God. Every one of the plagues were precision pinpoint God bombs against the false deities of Egypt. If God, if, if people were to come from Mars or wherever and they, they come to America and try to say, well, what is God, what is, what is America's God? It would either be money or this, technology. And they were intermingled together. And God says, I'm going I'm to shoot down your false god. When? In the end. Why? Fraud. <clears throat> the blood of the innocent. Now some good news. You ready? Studying human nature. We're going to wrap it all up right now. I don't think man could write the Bible if he wanted to and wouldn't have written it if he could. This is the word of God. Bible says this, the Redeemer will come in the fullness of time. A virgin will bring, uh, bring forth a baby. His name shall be called uh, the Son of God. Cha-ching. Everything converged, and Jesus came the first time. He gave, we've looked at it, uh, dozens of signs in the last five times together. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. The Jews are home. Jerusalem is retaken. The technology is here. Fraud is here. Uh, the nations are aligned. Russia's a great military power. She's aligned with Iran, Ethiopia, Libya. The hordes, of the, the, king, the hordes of the east are ready to march. The kings of the south, Islam's ready to march. The nations are aligned. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Our nation is divided almost 
It could go either way on any election. Divided. I don't think Satan really cares which side wins or loses. Satan just likes the division. Here's some human nature and some really good news in the end. The Sunday before 9-11 at our church, our attendance was 763. The Sunday after 9-11, our attendance was 12, excuse me, 765, and the Sunday after 9-11 was 1253. We grew by 400 people in one week with no campaign and with no uh, <laughs> advertising. Matter of fact, Tuesday night after 9-11, we just turned on all the lights, opened it, unlocked the doors, and just let people come and pray. For the next week, people came in morning, noon, and night, and they came in, and they came to the altar of our church, and they prayed and they wept. They wet the altars with their tears. Sad thing is, four weeks later, our attendance was right back to 775. In the Bible, you see this phrase. It's the, it was an agricultural phrase. Talk about the early and the latter rains. Remember that? The early rains kind of brought in the, uh, the fruit and veggies harvest, or, or the grain harvest, and then the latter rains brought in the fruits and veggie harvest. The early and latter rains. Well, I grew up on a truck farm in Ohio. We had a four-acre garden. We sold roadside. We sold out of my grandpa's tavern uh, veggies. And um, we would watch the weather in September every day because there's going to be a frost, and we had to be ready for the frost. And when we knew the frost was coming that night, all hands on deck. My mom never worked in the garden, but on the harvest night when the frost is coming, all hands on deck. And we'd go out, right at, we'd get off on the school bus, and we'd go right out, in the, uh, right out in the fields and start harvesting every green tomato, every pepper, Every eggplant, we didn't have eggplants in Ohio, that's New York, I'm sorry. But we harvested everything that the frost would take out because we wanted nothing to go to waste. And it would usually get dark, and we'd bring the cars and turn the headlights on and pick right, right into the dark until everything was brought in. We used to call it final harvest. And I think this judgment of God in James 5, it's coming probably not just to America, but probably to the whole world, you know? The world is economically lined up like a row of dominoes. Economically, if one goes down, we all go down. And God says, in the time of the end, I want to knock out your false god. And I think of the Sunday before 9-11, when everybody's just comfortable and planning out their next vacation, getting ready for the football season to open up. And then God sends a little tiny judgment. 9-11 is a very tiny judgment compared to what we read about in this book. And boy, Americans, wake up and we're going to church. That Sunday, we had 25 people come forward to receive Christ as Savior. We told our people, don't you come forward. Just if you're unsaved and you need to get saved, 25 people came that day to get saved. And then we told the church that, okay, if something's on your heart, you want to come and pray. And we had, 700, we had 1,263 people try to come forward. They couldn't. It just, every, the church just shifted and bowed 
the whole church, without asking, they just bowed. People were so touched by God and so fearful, they didn't want to stand. They wanted to kneel. I think it was the love of God trying to wake us up. God loves America and he loves the world so much that he'll, he'll, he'll take away those false gods. It'll hurt. People feel it. They're going to get scared. I think there's going to be a final harvest. I'd like to see... I'd like to see the economic collapse come. The church houses get filled up and hundreds and thousands and millions of people get saved and then on Monday morning Jesus comes back, rapture the church, and we go home. That's how I'm asking God to do that scenario. Because I like my creature comforts. I'm a wimp. I like, the, I like air conditioning. I like power. I like good food. I don't want to have to live hand to mouth. I don't want to have to live in poverty. But if God chooses for that for us in the last days, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I'm not trying to tell God what to do or not to do. I know God loves us. We're his family. We're his children. I want what's very best for my children. I want what's really best for my grandchildren. And God feels, loves us more than I love my kids and grandkids. I'm not scared. I am prepared. I think we should be prepared. Our great-grandparents were prepared. You know, I don't have to go to the grocery store. I just go to the root cellar. <laughs> I'm prepared. You can be prepared through the system. I could do a whole sermon on preparedness. The most important thing is our heart prepared. Is our heart prepared? Are we surrendered to the Lord Jesus? I think God's going to bring an economic collapse and people are, not, are going to be really freaking out. And they're going to come to the evangelical Bible churches because we're the ones that know the prophecies. They're going to come here to try to get answers. And I think that the Sunday after the collapse, you're going to have more than one service. Every seat will be filled with those that really need to be seated. And every square inch of this place will be filled with people. That's how our church was only after 9-11. And people are going to hear about Jesus. And they're going to be desperate. I was desperate when I came to Jesus. I had cops follow me to church for a month. They, they knew I was dealing, of course I had quit, but they didn't know that. And, and I was desperate. I was trying to get off drugs and I couldn't. I was this close to going to prison for a long time. I was desperate. And God's going to make the nation desperate. The false God's going to be taken away. And this place will be packed. All of you are going to be small group leaders one day. And you're going to give them 10 minutes to get out of here, and you'll fill it up again. You'll have three or four servers. You'll kill this old guy here. You'll just kill him. But wait a way to go. How did you die? I preached myself to death. Isn't that human nature? God's going to take away what's keeping us back from him. And we know the truth. The truth has already set us free. I'm not fearful. I'm prepared. I think I'm ready. I want to cling to him. I want to be a great worshiper. And God's going to do what God's going to do. 
He told us what he's going to do. He told us why. But he didn't tell us exactly when. And I think he smiles. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Because if we knew the day or now, we'd mess around and be stupid right up to the end, and we'd get right. Amen? That's our nature. Mama says, Dookie, clean up your room. I'll be home at 5 o'clock. It better be cleaned up. I forgot all about it till about 4.30 went through my mind. I got a half hour. About one minute till 5. Oh, I run in and try to do it. It's too late. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But when you begin... To see all these things, look up. It's almost time. God will knock the bottom out from under us economically, I think, for a reason, for a final harvest. And then he comes. The bride will be complete. And then he comes. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead shall be raised first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I miss Miss Linda, not as much as you do. I miss my dad. He knew my dad. He was about half nuts, wasn't he? But he, was, he, was, he finally got screwed under the right bolt. He was nuts, but, you know. I got a grandbaby in heaven. My grandma Mosier, Mary Mosier, got saved at age 64, lived to be 76, and she wrote in her old Schofield study Bible, Dear Lord, I'm old, I'm dying, I have no money, I have no health, I have no strength, I have no talents, I have nothing to give you. She wrote this prayer on May 4th, 1962. She died June 1964. She said, I have nothing to give you, but I have many grandsons. In Jesus' name, please save one of my grandsons and call him to preach. I'm minding my own business down in the park, smoking weed, bothering nobody. And Jesus comes and knocks on the door of my heart. One of your little disciples, Jeannie Atwell, came and told me Jesus saves. What a God we serve, amen. amen. Isn't it good to be on the winning team? Yes. What about those that aren't? They're mocking us. They can argue with what we say, but they can't argue with what we are and who we are. And so we'll just be his kids, faithful, serving every day, praising him, learning of him, sharing our faith of him with them, whether they want it or not. And when they, when they reject it, we just cast the dust from off our feet and go on, because there's people who are listening. People thought, oh, Duke will never be a Christian. How I many of you guys thought nobody would ever believe, you guys would be, right? Jesus saved, man, that's, that's good news. And so, the Lord has laid this all out for us. And he's enlightened us to be aware of it. And he's done it for a purpose. What is that purpose? That we're bright and shining lights. That we draw nigh. We love one another fervently. 
and we send the light, the gospel light, to Melbourne, planting other churches, sending forth missionaries, and we occupy till he comes. For the day cometh when no man can work. Our eternity is secure. I'm so secure in the blood of Christ, I can swing out over hell on a rotten corn stalk and sing Amazing Grace. Amen? Amen. Let's do something with this, gang. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Thank you for your attention. Some of you have been here for every service. You really honored me with your presence. I thank you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Right now, we're going to have a prayer of salvation and then a prayer of dedication for us. My wife's family is unsaved. Been praying for, praying for them for 43 years. And at the close of every message, I go to the, at the close of every prophecy conference, I go to the altar and I pray for my wife's family. Joel, meet me up here. We're going to pray together for her family. And maybe some, most of us need to just kind of come and get on our knees before this great God and pray for those that aren't ready that God will just give us opportunities to speak. God will speak to them direct through a dream or something will happen and it will just draw them to, to him. But then the final prayer here, is there somebody here say, Pastor Duke, I am kind of connecting the dots tonight. Biblically, I've been thinking about the Lord. I'm thinking about myself. I got some problems. You, know, you don't get your problems straightened out and then come to the Lord. You come as you are to the Lord and he helps you to straighten them out. Does anybody here say, Pastor Dick, I do not have Christ in my heart. I don't, I'm not sure. You use that word saved. I, I don't even really know what that means. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I do believe in Jesus. I want him in my heart. I want to be saved. Would you raise your hand? I'll lead you in prayer of commitment right now. I've not done that, but I'm ready tonight. Would you raise your hand real high so I can see it? No one looking around, please. Anybody? I'm not saved. Those of us that are saved, we got work to do. Aren't you glad you're here facing this responsibility of sharing the gospel rather than be out there lost, waiting for someone to rise up to come to you? I'd much rather be facing the mission field than be out there waiting in the darkness. So let's draw nigh to God. Let's confess our sins. Let's be pure. Let's, be, let's get right with God and ask him to use us powerfully that our light shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Father, thank you for this great church, Lord. I've come the past few years, and every time I come, I see more people, more people, more people. I'm especially thankful for the young people I see, thrilled with the guys coming from the mission and the, some of the great testimonies I've heard from these guys already this week. Lord, uh, one young man tells me he feels God's calling him to preach. I'm so thrilled. Uh, for, my, for my young brother in the Lord here on my front row. God, we want to bring you glory. Break our hearts for those that are lost. Fill us with opportunities to share faith with them. May your hand be powerfully upon this church. In the final part of the journey for Brother Gwen, Lord, whom we love, thank you for bringing in young men Lord, thank you for Caleb and pray you'll uh, just bless him and Christine's hearts as they're broken and just raise up this young man, Lord. We're not sure what all the future holds for him, but we know you, he's full of you.
And we pray that he will be fruitful, bringing in young families and children and teens to this church. Lord, don't let this church get old. Lord, revive it with young people. Anoint this young man you've brought here and his precious wife. Heal their hearts that's breaking and then just, just turn this town upside down through them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, Joel, and join me. Some of you might want to come and pray for lost people and uh, just, just call on the Lord together. Preacher, take the service. You got somebody on your heart needs to get saved, get ready before the Lord comes. Why don't you come and talk to God about them right now? Let's bow our heads, and Brother Larry's going to begin to sing. And if you just feel a need to come and kneel at this altar and pray and seek God's face for somebody's soul, maybe seek God's face about your life, the altars are open for you. Just step out and come right now as Brother Larry begins to sing.